Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Moana's podcast. My name is Amanda, and we are going to continue the conversation about some of the root causes of the orphan cycle and what Moana Villages and the staff in Congo are doing to stop that cycle. I am honored to introduce today's guest to you, co-founder of Moana, Cheryl. Cheryl, would you introduce yourself, please? Hi. Well, thanks so much. I'm excited to be on this podcast with you, Amanda. I'm Cheryl Walker Lakilaka, and my husband and I started Moana in 2010. And uh, we lived in the Congo for a few years, got everything set up. And uh, now our staff, our Congolese staff is on the ground doing all the work uh, right there in person. And I'm here supporting them from afar with regular trips. That's wonderful. Um, Today, Cheryl and I are going to be talking about gender inequality and how that plays into the orphan cycle. And, you know, sometimes we get so immersed in our own culture um, that we don't understand how certain things play into the orphan cycle. Uh, We don't always realize that some of those differences have such profound and lasting effects. Obviously, some differences are not going to affect the orphan cycle at all. Differences like food or clothing or things like that are very apparent that they really don't apply to the orphan cycle. But Cheryl, could you explain some of the differences that are directly linked, the cultural differences that are directly linked to the orphan cycle in Congo? Okay. Well, it is poverty. Uh, Poverty is the root of it all, really. Uh, because so many things branch out of that. Um, When you, you know, I I mean, I've seen for the last several years, people abandon their babies. I I haven't seen them doing it in the moment, but I've seen it, you know, all these situations. And so many times I just can't understand it. I'm a mother. I can't imagine ever, no matter how much I suffer, I could ever do that, you know, but I've never been starving. I've never been homeless. So it's hard, you know, I do understand that I can't, um, like, I'm not, I can't put myself in their shoes, really, because I haven't been there before. So, you know, so many things branch out of poverty, you know, when you're, when you're in survival mode, you're thinking about your basic needs, I guess that's human instinct. And you're not thinking too far down the road. You're, you don't have the luxury of planning. Right. You know, just just the fact that people don't have a fridge or electricity uh, makes a huge difference in how you plan your life. You know, you live day to day. So people make decisions that are survival for today, which end up having very bad long term impacts down the road. So, you know, poverty is a main thing, honestly, because when people are poor, there, there's so many factors. I mean, they're not getting an education. They're not, you know, they're not uh, expanding their, their minds and understanding things from another perspective. They're just living in their reality right now. Um, so survival mode makes people make some bad decisions because they just need to eat today right. or they need a place to sleep or something. So I think that's one of the major things. If you want to go more into detail with that, we can. Well, I think that um, you said it, I think, you know, from our perspective, it's easy 
to, to say like, well, we have a refrigerator, we have a deep freezer, we have a job and say we lose our job. You know, there's all sorts of assistance in the moment as well as the opportunity to get other employment or that kind of thing. It's really hard for us to put ourselves in a place of desperation to the point of making decisions that literally just change uh, not only, you know, the mother's life, but the children's life. And, and it just, and that's where that cycle, that ball keeps rolling. Right. Because like you said, if they're trying to um, just get food on the table for today, just, just tonight, uh, it changes a perspective of, of what they're willing to do because, you know, we haven't, we, we haven't gone hungry, right. We haven't had to be like, how, how am I going to feed my children tonight? And so I think it's really important Mm -hmm. to understand that though we feel like we might have the answers and we, we might say, looking in at this situation, um, could a solution be this or that we personally have never been in that situation, have never been to that point of desperation. And, and that, um, these, these women, these families are faced with things that we don't have all the answers for, but we certainly can come alongside of them and, and help move forward and break that cycle, break that, that, that expectation of, of, um, of, of loss and trauma and all of the things that come with abandonment and poverty. I mean, poverty in general. Um, can, Cheryl, can you give us or maybe highlight for us um, a specific difference in Congo than to the Western world? Just just sure. one specific difference. Well, I think that women there who are poor, I mean, this is the demographic of people that are abandoning their children. Um, they have, they feel that men are the solution to their problems, to their hunger, you know, to because their families are pushing them, you know, to get out if they haven't already been kicked out or abandoned by their families because they can't afford to feed them. So mm-hmm. women are looking for men and they're not very, you know, in our experience, very, you know, <laughs> particular or you know criteria they're not looking for a certain criteria of man really it's like a man that shows interest in her whether you know she's not checking if he's married somebody else or if he has 10 children with 10 different women Mm -hmm. she's just seeing a man who's interested in her and she sees an immediate possibility of a solution right to her situation. And so she just go and sleep with a man the first day she meets him. We met so many women who've said that and they just don't see it as a big problem. They don't see it as something that you shouldn't do, you know, and, you know, and again, saying, well, don't you see these, you know, the risks involved and everything. Right. And they say, yeah, well, you know, he was interested in me and I just did it, you know, I and said, oftentimes well, you know, that leads mm-hmm. Oftentimes that leads to the food on the table that night. It leads to somewhere to sleep that night. It leads to, like we were saying, yeah. that immediate need being met yeah. through that, that relationship. Yeah. Um, and that's the say- type of prostitution we see too. It's not like, you know, prostitution in the Western world is like you have a street corner or you have like a place where prostitutes kind of stand around and look for people to drive by or something. But in, in this case, it's not like that at all. You know, in Congo, it's more that type of thing where somebody's looking for, you know, like you just said, a place to stay or some, you know, it's like a solution for today. It's survival prostitution. So right. she's not, 
you know, it's, it's different. And it's a different what, perspective. On yeah, it is. It's just like giving yourself so that a man will meet your physical needs, your, you know, your basic needs, but you're trading it off for often, you know, abuse, violence, getting pregnant, Sickness, getting forced abortions, uh, you know, getting very sick from those or dying, definitely diseases. And then so often babies, you know, pregnancies that the men, the men won't recognize as theirs, especially because she's promiscuous and, right. you know, to get a DNA test in Congo, it's like out of everyone's budget. It's impossible unless you're really rich. But I think it's like, you know, hundreds of dollars, if not more. And when people Which make we- a maximum of like a hundred dollars or $150 a month, right. there's no way that they could afford it. Which so leads, which, mm-hmm. which completes that cycle, which leads the woman to yeah. consider abandonment when she never would, huh? which, you know, con- which makes her consider again, how am I going to meet the needs of my child tonight when, when that child is in her care, which is how a lot of women end up at Moana is through this, this, just this cycle of survival and, and um, poverty is really the leading cause, but there's so many elements inside of that, you know, like prostitution, like lack of employment, you know, um, Mm -hmm. medical care, those things, which is how so many of the children and women end up at Moana. Mm -hmm. Can you share with us, um, like the marriage process dowry? Can you share with how that's kind of different? Yeah. Um, unfortunately marriage is almost impossible because it's so expensive for people to get married. So only wealthy people, or people that have a steady job where they're saving up for years often. Um, okay. So where, what is the, um, when you say it's so expensive, what is it that costs so much? It's um, the, well, number one is the dowry. So okay. the man, even though like legally in the government, in the law, the dowry is supposed to be, I think it's a hundred thousand CFA, which is about $200 us, which would be somewhat affordable, but it's uh, families have abused the dowry system and they don't respect that. And so the woman's family gives a huge list. So it's thousands of dollars of stuff that this man has to come up with in order to marry this daughter. And uh, you know, it's impossible. So in, in most cases it's really impossible. And uh, to meet that, so that they're not is- getting legally married. Yeah. Okay. And so, because on top of that, there's like the, the church wedding, the city hall, the family, the customary wedding. So there's like three weddings. And so on top of the dowry, there's all the expenses of, you know, food for the guests and decorations and dresses and clothes and all of that. And all the extended family are asking for outfits and shoes and, you know. So it's really just stuff. not realistic often. It's not, no. it's so hard to meet that list. And then plan and pay for all of the ceremonies that should be a celebration really. Right. Um, and so can you, explain- uh, when people are married officially, I'll just add, mm-hmm. uh, if the man dies, which is a possibility because, you know, often men are older than the women when they get married. Number one, number two, men have a lower life expectancy than women. Number three, the life expectancy in Congo isn't very high. I right. think it's in the forties. So uh, you know, it, it's common that a man will die in the marriage. And when that happens, even though it's illegal that the man's family will come and take everything that 
that they owned. So even if they owned houses, land, anything together, the family comes and takes everything away from the woman and leaves her with the children. And so a lot of widows end up in utter poverty because their husband died. Okay. And so can you share with us maybe um, a specific story where that happened and, uh, and what that looked like, you, you know, using an alternate name, of course. And um, Okay, sure. So there's uh, one lady that uh, I met when I think it was in 2012. Uh, yeah, 2012. So she was like a neighbor of mine. And it was at church that I was introduced to her. And she had been married off basically by her family. Uh, her father had a friend. Uh, so she was 15 years old. She got married to her father's friend. I think he was 35. And he already had, I believe, six children. And the oldest was, I think she said 12. So imagine you're 15 years old. You suddenly inherit six children and one of them is 12. And uh, she right away started having more children. I believe she had six more. I, it's been a while since I <laughs> told the story. So right. um, anyway, and, you know, she says that she was happy. They had a good marriage and they had uh, actually, it was an official marriage. And she always would insist on telling me that they had uh, the type of marriage where it's common, uh, like assets, I guess you would say. So okay. it means they both own everything, which is supposed to be a protection for her. So that if he does die, it wouldn't, um, it wouldn't leave her. That, yeah. Yeah. That would, it wouldn't be all taken away from her because she's half owner of everything. Um, but uh, he did die and, you know, she believes he was killed somehow and they did come and take everything away from her. And she was alone with all these children. You know, she's, had nowhere to sleep. She had nowhere, nothing. They had nothing. They had to dig through garbage and try to survive. So that was one example of that. And Juana helped her, um, you know, her and her family a lot, you know, that's the type of people that Juana will step in and, and assist. And come in. And so, I mean, ultimately Moana comes alongside these women who have, so many things going against them, starting with poverty, but then going to, you know, uh, a lack of representation legally, right? As in that case specifically, she she was under the under you know under the impression that as she married that she had done it right and that she would be protected should something happen to her husband. And you know, it turns out that wasn't the case, right? And so when Moana comes alongside of them, their goal is to show that these women are loved and that they're they're worthy. And that they deserve dignity and respect and that they are capable. And could you explain some of um, maybe one story specifically where you got to witness that transformation take place? Um, maybe that story, maybe a different one, kind of what happened and how the outlook changed for that woman or that family as Moana came mm -hmm. alongside of them. Sure. Well, the first story that just pops in my head is uh, this young mother who has five boys, she, she was, you know, just like that. It was all about survival. Uh, she has no education. And for her, the solution was always going to come from a man. And uh, she would do 
you know, she admitted to us that she would even do witchcraft practices that she learned from someone in order to seduce men for their money and for, you know, just that they would be attached to her, that she wouldn't lose them to anybody else, you know, that she would have a good control or a grasp on these men. She also had twin girls and abandoned them. Um, and so she, that was something that she needed to be healed from as well. So, you know, when we kind of discovered her and started to help her, she was living in the worst conditions. They had nothing to eat. They had nothing to wear. I mean, I remember when we brought her out of that little hut that she was in with her five boys and brought her to Moana, you know, I, the staff told me the, how little things she had. They were so surprised. There was like one bag, a little bag of stuff for all six of them. And, uh, you know, we prayed with her that day. You know, I, I was on the phone. I wasn't there, but I was on the phone with them. And, you know, it was really special for her to, even on day one, feel loved, feel worthy, feel like really God has heard her prayers and she's loved and she, she matters, you know, and that she wasn't really going unnoticed. And, you know, after that, we, uh, you know, we just help them so much. I mean, people, we help them on different levels, you know, we pray and try to decide as a team also, how far we can go with a certain aid, you know, and in her case, we went pretty far. We did quite a bit for that family and they have just thrived. It's, you know, they're, they've done so well. The kids all have been doing well in school. Um, you know, we started by just paying for their school, paying their rent, you know, just taking care of them completely. And then she started working at the orphanage for, uh, as a, as a housekeeper and what a hard worker she was, you know, and at the same time, she went through a process of healing and in repentance also for the things that she had done. And, you know, it was a process, you know, it was a couple of years process, but I mean, what a grateful person, what a hard worker, what, a, you know, really dynamo. She's the littlest person. You think she's 14 years old, you know, but she's a mother of five and, <laughs> Anyway, so we uh, recently decided well, last year to uh, see if she'd be interested in going to be our refuge mother in, in Kai, you know, which is about uh, 300 kilometers away from the city where our main refuges are in. And uh, she was, you know, she was all for it. And so she's there with her boys. Right now she has two other boys in the house with her. One of them's coming to our main refuge in the city, but the other one is um, a 15 year old who lost his legs and his family rejected him. And he spent four years at a hospital because no one would come and pick him up. You know, no one in his family would come for him. So, you, you know, he faced such rejection and, and trauma. And so, and now he is, her son, you know, yeah. he feels that, you know, he, he really feels that he's part of her family. She doesn't treat him any differently than her boys. Now he has brothers. You know, it's amazing. Brother. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when you support Moana, I think 
my favorite thing that you just said was that it was a years long process. You know, there, there is no quick fix, no bandaid, right? Uh, healing takes time, you know, uh, learning takes time coming out of a situation that, that was so challenging, so much trauma, so much pain. And now that cycle is stopped. Her, her boys are, Mm -hmm. are not abandoned. She is thriving. They are thriving. And now we have the other boy also joined into her family and everyone feeling like they belong and that they are seen and that they are worthy, not dependent on what they have to offer. Or, you know, it's, it's not like, I love you because tonight you're going to give me this or that, you know, it literally is just, you're seen and you're worthy regardless, just as you are. I know. And there's three more children that we're considering sending there to be part of her family, you know, but we want it to be a permanent, a permanent solution, not just something temporary. So we're making, we're taking time to make the decision. Uh, But, you know, I just think that's so, I love Moana so much because it's like brokenness and broken families. Well, you know, God restores using Moana by creating family, you know, so it's, it's beautiful. It it is so beautiful. And I think that um, just the commitment, Moana's commitment to working through, I mean, we all know that working through the trauma, working through the healing, working through for her specific story, working through the healing and the repentance and confronting some of the decisions in the past, like none of these things are easy None of these things um, are are fast. And I think there's a tendency to be like, well, you know, the solution to this, it would be just don't do this. And the fact that the staff at Moana comes alongside and just is really there pushing through all of the pain, all of the hurt, and just showering them with the love and sharing wisdom and sharing resources and whatever that looks like, you know, each family is going to have a different need that needs met. Sometimes it's a medical need. Sometimes it's an emotional need. Um, but just meeting them where they're at is so beautiful and watching that transformation take place. I think one of my favorite things about the social media aspect of Moana is watching the transformation of, you know, the lack of smile, the lack of peace in the eyes, and then seeing that same person, thriving seeing it to where you see the smiles you see the joy in in their eyes and the body language and the sense of belonging there's nothing to replace that feeling um it's Mm -hmm. very beautiful i know Mm -hmm. and it's so transformative you know belonging everyone everyone wants to belong everyone wants to know that they're loved and and watching how moana takes these these broken stories and restores them is so beautiful Mm-hmm. Um, next steps, we would like to challenge our listeners to next steps, things that they can do to come alongside Moana and support them. Um, definitely, if you haven't signed up already, sign up to the Moana Insider email series. It's amazing. You get a, a backstage kind of look at some of the stories and kind of get to follow along uh, in a more detailed manner than on the social media page. So that's a great opportunity um, if, if anyone listening wants to learn more. And speaking of families, another way to join Moana is with your church family. There's all sorts of opportunities to come alongside Moana as a church family. 
if that's something any of our listeners are interested in, uh, have your uh, missions pastor contact Moana and we can discuss the different options. And I know in the past there's been VBS series is done and it's absolutely amazing. I know my kids personally have loved getting um, to do like the VBS side and, and come alongside specific children and pray for them for the summer. And it's pretty amazing. So I encourage you to reach out, look in and get involved. Um, thank you, Cheryl, so much for sharing your wisdom and your insight on Moana. And we just really appreciate that you joined us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you.